You're listening to The Solution, a podcast by Growers Mineral. I'm your producer, Russell Bobel. In today's episode, Marguerite Fall sat down with our director of research, Jim Hallbison, as well as Zach Smith. This is the first of a three-part series. Make sure to subscribe and check back to hear part two and part three. Now, over to Marguerite and the research team. Um, Well, welcome back to our Growers Podcast. Um, Today we're doing a three-part series talking about eutrophication, algal blooms, and nutrient loss. So in this first part, um, we're going to talk about eutrophication and give some basic definitions um, and a basic layout to uh, increase greater understanding of the larger issues we'll discuss in the next two. Um, Zach, do you want to give us a start? Um, and, and Jim, feel free to give us input as you as you have it as well. Um, can you just start by giving us some of the basic definitions uh, so we have the knowledge to proceed to the next areas? Sure. So we'll start with eutrophication. And to understand what that is, you need to understand what trophic levels are. And so a, a trophic level, it's on a scale. And there are generally three levels. So on the one side of the scale is oligotrophic and on the other side of the scale is eutrophic. And then in the middle, somewhere in between is mesotrophic. And so all a trophic level is, is a measurement of the primary productivity of a system. And primary productivity is the amount of photosynthetic activity or photosynthetic plant growth that is occurring. And so there are a lot of variables that go into that primary productivity level and therefore the, the trophic level. A good example of an oligotrophic system would be Lake Superior. It's far north, which means it's got short a short growing season and uh, generally cold and less sunny weather. It's very, very deep and it's not very developed. So you don't have a lot of artificial nutrient input. And by artificial, I mean um, man-made. And then an example of a, there's eutrophic systems everywhere we look, often they're small, like a little swamp or something like that. Uh, As you go further south, of course, you run into more of these systems because you have a longer growing season, more sunlight. And uh, so your typical swamp would be a pretty eutrophic system. You have a, a lot of primary productivity, a lot of plant growth, and then you have a lot of decomposition. So there's a lot of nutrient cycling. It's a, it's a pretty quick turnover. So in a Northern climate, because there's not a lot of heat, there's not a lot of quick decomposition. Whereas in a Southern climate, like the tropics, you, this, the nutrient cycle moves extremely quickly because there's heat, there's moisture, and therefore there's a lot of microbiological activity. And so those are some of the differences in a couple of examples of, of an oligotrophic and a eutrophic system. Um, so in the context so of what we're talking about, a, a eutrophication little... is the process of a system moving to a more eutrophic state. So a system that's increasing in primary productivity, which usually means it's increasing in nutrient level. So that means that I want it to be eutrophic, not the algotrophic, correct? I want want it to be fully eutrophic. Is that what I'm going for then? Is that what you would want your system to be? It's not wise to force a system into any state that it's not naturally going into. so like I say that, you know, we, we think a lot of primary productivity is a good thing, right? You want a lot of green growing plants, but that's just simply not the system that's supported throughout the world. The boreal forest cannot support a eutrophic system very well. So to try to force it to 
uh, is probably going to lead to drastic changes in the environment that, that we can't predict. Um, there's no perfect system, right? So there's not, not like an oligotrophic system is lacking anything, no more than a eutrophic system is lacking or gaining anything. It's just the way the Lord's made the earth. There are both, there are different nutrient levels. There's different climates, um, that there's no ideal system. Got it. So, so the just the goal of eutrophication is to make it more eutrophic, but not necessarily entirely to increase primary productivity. Yeah. And I don't think saying that the goal of it would be the right way of putting it, but eutrophication describes the process of moving it in that direction. So yeah, like I, I don't even know if you could say that there is a totally eutrophic system. I mean, nobody would know what that would look like, right? Right. There's just systems that are best described by those terms. So Lake Superior by no means does, it, it supports primary productivity. It's just more of an oligotrophic system. Same way a swamp is by no, or by no means constantly has growth. We have swamps here in Southern Ontario or in Ohio that freeze up every winter. There's nothing growing then, but there's still a pretty eutrophic system. So it's, it's a scale, right? And there's no real extremes on either end. There's, they're always on the scale. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, um, and you said these are both natural or man-made, correct? Yeah. Um, so can you give us kind of an example of um, how man can influence this system? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Lake Erie provides a good example of that. Um, the <laughs> oh, best Jim's laughing over like, here. We don't really have any control over the climate. We don't have any control over the length of the growing season, but something that we do have, I'm not going to say control, but influence over is nutrient levels. So I, uh, I'll bring up now uh, what a limiting nutrient is, and that's any system has a factor that limits its growth potential. Uh, so a couple of easy uh, analogies would be, let's say a plant requires only nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus to grow. And you have nitrogen and potassium in abundance, but you have a very small amount of phosphorus. Well, the, the plants in that system can only grow as much as that amount of phosphorus will allow. If you were to introduce a lot of phosphorus into that system, you would then be removing that limit on the phosphorus. Uh, another easier to describe example would be in baking a cake. Again, you have, let's say, three ingredients. Obviously, there's more that go into a cake, just as there's more that go into a plant. But uh, if you have flour, butter, and sugar, and you have enough flour and butter to make a double batch, but you only have enough sugar to make a single batch, then you're going to be limited to only making that single batch unless you get more sugar. So in, in a lake system, a freshwater lake system, a limiting nutrient is phosphorus. It's, it's in a limited amount compared to the other requirements. So there could be an abundance of heat, an abundance of sunlight, an abundance of other nutrients, an abundance of oxygen, but there's not enough phosphorus, then plant life is limited to that amount. And so humans, what we do is we introduce more phosphorus into that system. And that's through uh, like way back in the, the pre seventies, I'll say that was in detergents and stuff like that, both residential and commercial that's in human waste and other waste that's in obviously farm fertilizers, golf um, courses, other waste streams. Yeah. So there, there are multiple pathways that phosphorus can enter the system, but once it has entered the system, we are now artificially increasing that limit and therefore allowing more primary productivity in and, the system. And, and then what happens artificial because naturally that phosphorus would not enter the system at that rate. So you're essentially speeding up the process by many, many factors, which, uh, 
I'm not going to claim it's not going to destroy the system. We don't have the power to do that, but it will drastically change it to a point that we may not recognize. And so increasing the the phosphorus, wh- what does that do to the lake? So you have more primary productivity, for, right? It but, allows, like it removes that limit, right? So the if, if you only have, I'm just using arbitrary terms here, if you only have five units of phosphorus, but you have 50 units of everything else um, and you you add in, 45 more units of phosphorus, you've now essentially maxed out that system's capacity for primary productivity. If you only add 30 units of phosphorus, it's still limited, but less limited. So what happens is, and this context, we'll get more into this in the next podcast, is that the most obvious indicator in Lake Erie is algae blooms. Uh, algae is a photosynthetic organism. It requires sunlight, requires oxygen, requires phosphorus. So when you introduce that phosphorus into the lake system, which is pretty much uh, through through the river systems and any wastewater treatment plants, then that phosphorus is now available to that algae. And then you, you get the blooms that we see every year or that we're now seeing every year. We didn't used to see them every year, not in the severity. So you remove that limiting factor. You have more productivity, which means you have more algal blooms, correct? Exactly. Same as yeah. in, a, in a cake, you remove that and you can have two batches of cake. Yeah, exactly. Two cakes sound great. Are you offering to cook? <laughs> yeah, I prefer to have more cake over more algae. Jim, do you want your own cake? Yeah. Yeah, Jim and I want our own. That'll work. That'll work. <laughs> we, can, we can bring some sugar. <laughs> All right. Um, any other, any final thoughts on um, eutrophication and the background of it before we launch into our next part? I think the, the bottom line is that the addition of the nutrients from uh, man-made sources is really the key for the imbalance. Uh, again, you're limited. You're always going to have something coming into the system, uh, but the volume that comes in changes the dynamics of the system to where now you've got something that uh, is not conducive to what we're looking for. And again, the biggest mm-hmm. contributor right now, according to the geologic survey, is uh, agricultural fertilizer. So that's where the problem arises. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe and share with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about the Growers Program, visit our website, www.growersmineral.com.